1: From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers magazine, the national conversation, it's time for the Michael Harrison rap. Here's Michael Harrison.
2: Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, June 21st through Friday, June 25th, 2021. It was a week of partisan bickering over voting, over immigration, over what really happened on January 6th, over critical race theory, and over the implications of China's connection to the origin and spread of COVID 19. And that's just for starters, as America finds some political common ground on the infrastructure, fascination and empathy in the compelling story of a pop star's tragic circumstances. Sadness in the horrific aftermath of a collapsed residential building and optimistic anticipation of next weekend's celebration of its birth as a nation. Stand by as we're about to be joined by media thought leaders left, right, and center for a bold hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, in which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. So try not to get angry. Rather, listen to what's about to unfold with an appropriate degree of educated skepticism. You'll hear Mandy Connell in Denver, Colorado, talking about Vice President Kamala Harris and immigration. Harry Hurley in Atlantic City, New Jersey, discussing the mixed feelings workers have about transitioning back to the office. Vince Benedetto in Scranton, Pennsylvania, on the tricky business of leaving Afghanistan, Dr. Dahlia Wax in Las Vegas, Nevada, on the scary Delta variant, and Sid Rosenberg in New York City on the complicated Big Apple mayoral race and increases in violent crime. We'll be joined by opinionated people from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do their daily dance of African information in a deafeningly noisy world in which we try ever so hard to avoid the modern day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth welcome to the michael harrison wrap an examination of the past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the american talk media information is gathered from a variety of sources including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication talkers magazine of which i'm editor and publisher Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week.
3: Thank you, Michael. At number 10, Britney Spears case tied with the Florida condo collapse. The Britney Spears case in Los Angeles has captured the public's attention, rising from a celebrity gossip story to a compelling human rights drama that has gripped the nation.
2: Talk about a story that gripped the nation. The tragic collapse on Thursday day of a residential building north of Miami Beach and the frantic rescue operation launched in its aftermath has captured the hearts and minds of the nation.
3: At number nine, California Governor Newsom faces recall tied with complaints of big tech monopolistic censorship practices. It is now official. California Governor Gavin Newsom will face recall in an upcoming special election. However, most political analysts predict he will survive it. When and how that election will take place has yet to be determined.
2: And the drumbeat grows louder in the movement aimed at reclassifying giant social media platforms such as Facebook as monopolies or public utilities.
3: At number eight, the New York City mayoral race tied with a spike in urban violent crime. Democrat Eric Adams appears to be heading toward the Democratic nomination in a crowded field as the numbers are being counted in a confusing new system called ranked choice voting
2: on the republican side talk show host and founder of the guardian angels curtis sliwa will be the standard bearer winning his party's two-man race in a landslide both the republican and democratic candidates are running on platforms of law and order as the big apple is experiencing a disturbing increase in violent crime
3: at number seven u.s relations with china and russia tied with the afghanistan pullout China's expanding assault on democracy in Hong Kong continues with its shutdown of the newspaper Apple Daily. And a growing alliance between China and Russia is increasing headaches for the State Department and the Biden administration.
2: Meantime, as America pulls troops out of Afghanistan, the power of the Taliban in that war-torn country is
3: enjoying a resurgence. At number six, the southern border crisis tied with immigration reform. Although the news coverage of the situation seems to have died down since the election of Joe Biden as president, the humanitarian crisis on the southern border is worsening, particularly in terms of the number of unaccompanied children at risk.
2: Vice President Kamala Harris, succumbing to conservative pressure, finally agreed to visit El Paso on the border at the end of the week.
3: At number five, the western heat wave and drought tied with climate change. It's getting hotter and drier as the situation becomes increasingly uncomfortable and dangerous, especially for large segments of the population that do not have air conditioning
2: compelling and painful evidence that climate change is a reality with real life consequences
3: at number four a three-way tie between the january 6 investigation election fraud claims and audits and the suspension of Rudy Giuliani from the New York State Bar. Speaker Nancy Pelosi is launching her own House Select Committee to investigate the causes and consequences of the January attack on the Capitol.
2: Meantime, Donald Trump continues his claim that the election was stolen from him and former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani and personal attorney for the ex-chief executive has been suspended from practicing law in New York State for allegedly having lied in court on a number of occasions on behalf of the former president refusal to accept the results of the 2020 ballot.
3: At number three, a tie between the economy and the infrastructure. President Biden and the GOP have arrived at a compromise agreement to go forward with the president's plan to stimulate the economy by investing some $579 billion toward repairing and upgrading the nation's crumbling infrastructure.
2: A move that has given a surge of life to the stock market at week's end.
3: At number two, the voting bill blocked Tied with race relations. At least Biden can claim a much needed victory on the infrastructure front because the Senate has blocked his bid to enact a sweeping voting rights bill designed to offset Republican efforts to tighten regulations on the state level.
2: Meantime, conservative talk media on both radio and television has focused heavily on what it describes as the Marxist dangers of critical race theory.
3: At number one this week COVID 19 vaccines, goals, and the Delta variant the Biden administration says it appears to be falling short of its lofty goal of having 70% of the country at least partially vaccinated by the 4th of July weekend.
2: However, that being said, the president has been wildly successful nonetheless in getting the nation vaccinated beyond all expectations. What's got health officials and experts concerned right now, however, is the virulent Delta variant. Try saying that three times quickly. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. The humanitarian crisis on the southern border and immigration reform remained hot topics on news talk shows across America this past week. We're joined now by talk show host Mandy Connell of KOA Radio in Denver, the sister station of our affiliate in the Mile High City, Freedom 93.7 KDFD. What's your take on what's happening and also maybe some of the uh, comments of people that you talk to uh, in terms of Kamala Harris's role in the immigration issue?
4: I have to say, I, don't, I personally don't know who has a, a bigger failure here, whether the failure should be laid at the feet of Vice President Kamala Harris or if it's a failure of Joe Biden. Um, this has been really frustrating for people on the right because uh, during the Trump administration, regardless of how you feel about Donald Trump now, Um, they were on the border all the time. There were reporters on the border. We had endless stories on the border of children in cages. And as soon as Joe Biden was elected, all of that went away. The problem has only gotten worse. And the reporting that is available is so bad that this has been a big area of frustration that the vice president was put in charge of this and has not made it to the border until apparently she's headed there this week. But we still don't know exactly what that is going to entail But, you know, it's about time for people. I I think that people are frustrated, honestly, with the lack of media coverage more than the lack of action.
2: It's interesting you say the lack of media coverage because sometimes media coverage creates, you know, photo opportunities and diversion when a lot of things are going on behind the scenes. I'm always amazed when I find out that something has happened and we never heard about it in the media. We didn't talk about it on talk radio. And then you realize that there are all these decoys and things that are, are, are happening that really don't tell us what's really going on below the surface below the tip of the iceberg. I mean, think about it. Is being at the border for a figure such as Kamala Harris necessarily that important to what's going on with um, Washington policy toward immigration? What are your thoughts?
4: I I think that the visual is important, not just for the people in the United States of America, but for the people who are in Guatemala and Honduras who have said repeatedly, this administration is inviting us to come here. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of powerful imagery that has been sent over the past three years as uh, they were campaigning about opening the border and not not deporting people, those messages have been heard. And I, I personally think that this administration is really responsible for creating this flood of immigrants because they gave the impression that they would be welcome. And having Kamala Harris at the border with that photo op you just mentioned, talking about the fact that this is not what you need to do, we do not want you to come, you will be expelled if you come here, that's what people want to see and it's not just for the american people it's for the people in central and south america who still think it's a good idea to send their children walking across the border with a coyote you know i mean this is a humanitarian crisis of massive proportions and it just fell out of the news cycle michael how did that happen how i mean it's a rhetorical question but but how does it go from being the worst thing ever a year and a half ago to non-existent in in terms of coverage now when there are more children in custody there are more people coming in the numbers are dramatic and staggering, and yet it's it's a non-story. That's been very
2: frustrating. Your your uh, calling it a rhetorical question is very apt. It is a huge question, and it's one that I think about all the time. I, I think that most of the censorship and most of the editing and most of the spin and most of the bias is expressed in America through the press not covering things.
4: Correct. What you know, yep. and, and, and and I think that people. People out, you, you have a long history in the media, Michael. You know how the game is played. I know how the game is played. And when I talk about bias, for me, it's exactly what you're talking about. When you choose not to cover a story, that is an indication of your bias. And that's been really frustrating because this is still a huge story. Like, at last I looked, 16,000 kids. Are in custody right now, more than we're ever under, in custody under Donald Trump. And yet that's a non-story. It's it's insane what's happening. And, and people are concerned not just because they're concerned about people breaking into the country. They're concerned about little children being sent through the desert by themselves. I mean, it's crazy what's happening right now. But
2: is it the United States of America's responsibility, after all is said and done, to... Um be worried about these children. I mean, we can worry about it from a humanitarian standpoint, but from a standpoint of policy, wouldn't it just be better to make it loud and clear that if you leave your children in a situation like that, you people who live in a foreign country and are not American citizens, that's on you, not on us. It really comes down to messaging and the fact that Uh, many, many administrations going back a dozen years or more, because I I have followed this as as somebody who follows what's going on in talk radio. It's been one of the main topics that's been kept alive Mm -hmm. in the media. (laughs) If it were left to the mainstream media beyond talk radio to cover immigration, we wouldn't know anything that's going on. It's been talk radio that's kept it alive. Um, So I, I guess the question is, why can't they get their acts together, the Democrats and the Republicans, to just get the message out? We have laws in place. We we do have a system. We just don't operate it properly. Or am I missing something?
4: Well, I think there's a lot to that question that you just had right there. But ultimately, when there was a campaign against Donald Trump who was very, very tough on the border, but effectively tough on the border. We saw the constant flow of immigrants stop because they knew they were not going to be welcomed here. So, to your point, why can't they get it together? I don't think Congress has any desire to solve the immigration issue, because they use it as a political football. They're using the DACA dreamers, both sides are, all of these problems that they could have already solved years ago by really overhauling the legal immigration system and streamlining that process while also shoring up the southern border. We could have done that in 1987, but we didn't, because politicians can use these people to their political advantage. I don't mean to be so cynical, but I'm almost positive that's, that's what I think is happening anyway.
2: As you and I get older, as is everybody listening to this and everybody in the news and everybody in every walk of life, we're all getting older and hopefully we're getting wiser or maybe we're getting dumber. Do you think that the nature of politicians in terms of their ethics and character has gone downhill during the last 10, 20 years of, of our lives?
4: Uh, absolutely and i think that we as the citizenry are responsible for that because first of all we have we have allowed a political process where negative campaigning and personal destruction is rewarded by people voting for the people that are lobbying these attacks, that's kept a lot of good people out of politics. Why would, you know, if you're a nice person with a nice family, why in the world would you want to run to be a member of Congress when you know that chances are if you are, you know, remotely successful in the, in the campaign, you're going to be attacked with all kinds of horrible accusations. They're going to go back and find some guy from sixth grade who said that you pushed him or put his head in a toilet and your entire life is going to be destroyed. We've created this. We've created this monster, and we feed it every time we vote for a politician who goes negative, and every time we allow a super PAC to come in and destroy someone personally over politics. So we, we bear a lot of that responsibility, and honestly, I have no idea how to put that genie back in the bottle. That's
2: Mandy Connell, one of Denver's leading talk radio personalities, heard daily on KOA Radio, the sister station of her affiliate in Denver, Freedom 93.7 KDFD. Coming up next, Harry Hurley in Atlantic City. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap on 1047 Wonk FM. One of the great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gun Hill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gun Hill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Kunin, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled, I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom. Take a moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that'll rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address. Write it down I know you are real.com. That's I know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. I know you are real.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap. One of the many topics of conversation to emerge at this juncture in the COVID era is the uncertainty and mixed feelings people have about returning to the workplace or even their jobs and career paths. Let's check in with one of the most dynamic forces in local talk radio, Harry Hurley of WPG in Atlantic City, a man who clearly loves his profession. Harry, it seems that people are very conflicted about going back to, to work or to the workplace. What's your take on it?
5: It's bizarro world. I read about Wolfgang Puck. He's got $120,000 a year waiter positions. Fantastic. Wonderful. Six-figure, comfortable lifestyle, great earning potential. He can't get anyone to take the job. That's that's a jump-off point. The other thing that's happening right now, every poll that I see, Michael, about 70 to 80% of the workforce doesn't want to go back into the office. And I've been giving that great thought. First of all, polls come out and sometimes you look at them sideways. I believe that number. I think the pandemic, which began in March of 2020, I think people became a bit introverted. They weren't around people very much, maybe around a handful of people close to them and got to enjoy not going into the office, not getting sick. What do we have? 4,000 people in a country of 350 million that got the flu last year. I think people don't want to go back to work.
2: Well, that's some um, something that I um, have always felt. <laughs> I, I, I'm about saying I don't like to work, but I I found out years ago that I um, was very uncomfortable in office environments. Uh, the typical office, which turned into the you know the cubicle farm, uh, the um, the fluorescent lighting, the the drab gray corporate um, decor, uh, the Politics that goes on in the office, I, you know, and and being a broadcaster, I have mixed feelings about this, and I, I think you're going to identify with this. I, I think of radio stations as cathedrals, as giant cultural meeting places. As as you're part of, it's like it's like a social, uh, even though it's a business, it's like a social club. But on the other hand, <laughs> they, uh, they can seem like cesspools of malignancy, uh, malignant egos. (laughs) It's just very, very, very dangerous places to be around in terms of toxic environments because there's so many competing backstabbing elements in the arts and and in in the political uh, atmosphere that that goes along with it. So I found years ago before the pandemic that I started to find working from home, not going into the office, trying to avoid the politics of it, staff meetings. When I owned companies, I would never, ever have staff meetings unless they were absolutely utilitarian. I try to have a different relationship with every person so that they didn't feel like they were diminished. Um, so I'm not surprised. How, how have you felt about, uh, you know, working in those kinds of environments over the years?
5: Very good question, Michael. And permission to revise and extend my previous answer. When I said that 70 to 80% don't want to go back to work, I meant in the office. They want to work from home. Right. Um, in terms of this question, I did not have my life uprooted. I went into the studio every day, For the full length and breadth of the pandemic, with the exception of 10 days, when I self-quarantined, I did take one trip to Florida. And when I came home, I wanted to be compliant. As you know, we've been very compliant during the entire pandemic. So I did do the program from home for a week, a little over a week, probably about six or seven air shifts, 10 days total. And I have to say, I liked it. I liked it. It wasn't like a live remote like our golf tournament, charity golf tournament of last week, when you know you're doing it one day and you're coming back. Um, my getting up, I could get up a little bit later. Uh, I didn't necessarily have to take a shower and shave and get ready right away. I could just go into the studio in my home, in my office, and do the show. It, it actually made me think, as time goes on, that that's how I want to deliver the Hurley in the Morning program. I liked it. And I see where these people are coming from, that when they get a taste of independence being at home, independence right around Independence Day on the Michael Harrison rap, that I can understand that.
2: Are we going to gradually get back into the way it was, or are we on a new path in terms of the workplace, in terms of workers? Are people going to get more pay for jobs that otherwise they were um, relegated to uh, that were way behind the rise in the cost of living? All kinds of things are happening. Um, I wonder where it's going to go. Uh, Before I give you my opinion, what's yours, or what's your prognostication?
5: Mine, and I think it's staring us in the face. Uh, I don't know about you, Michael. But I have a doctor's appointment coming up in the very near future and I was offered the opportunity to either come back in because the doctor is again seeing patients in the office or doing this one virtual. Which one do you you've known me for almost a decade now. Which one do you think I picked?
2: Oh gosh. That, you're really putting me on the spot because I know different aspects of your personality. On one level, you're an extremely personable guy who likes uh, face-to-face contact and enjoys um, socializing. And I guess you're that way in your business. On another level, you're busy as hell. And <laughs> I don't know whether or not you know going to the doctor fits in. I will say you pr- – I'm not going to say. I'm going to say I don't All right. know.
5: Well, I'm going to choose the Michael Harrison door number two. For this one, I chose to do it virtually. Mm -hmm. I was expecting it to be virtual. And then the next appointment that I have with them will be in person. So I'm not going to to lose completely that personal touch because I think there is a lot to be said for the social emotional element and also maybe some things that might come up that don't come up in in a virtual uh, uh, appointment. So this one, I'm going to save the time of having to go in, wait whatever length of time I would have to wait This way, when, when the doctor calls me, we are ready to go that moment. So I choose that. We see the same thing happening in many other ways. There are meetings that used to take place that now are Teams or Zoom or whatever video chatting, conferencing that people want to use. The answer, the short answer to your question is everything has changed forever because by definition, it can't be the same. And we've now have opened up so many people to a digital world that many were apprehensive about that would have never thought about having a virtual doctor's appointment. You have to go in with all those maybe sicker people than you and maybe catch some other cold or something or the flu while you're waiting to get your well check. So I like some of the changes, uh, everything that happened during the pandemic, it was awful and obviously we lost more than 600,000 souls, but I, I think some permanency uh, is for sure coming out of the pandemic.
2: That's Harry Hurley, who's been hosting the very popular morning show in WPG in Atlantic City, New Jersey, for the past 30 years. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's pivot now to a discussion of foreign affairs and a conversation with the CEO of the Bold Gold Media Group, owners of our Scranton, Pennsylvania affiliate 93.3 FM, The Talker, Vince Benedetto. Vince is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, a former Air Force captain, and Air Force OSI special agent, where he worked on counterintelligence, counterterrorism, and felony-level investigative efforts for the Department of Defense. You know, Vince, there's been a lot of conversation about Afghanistan uh, in the news talk media, and, and rightly so. As Americans, uh, American troops leave that w- that war-torn country, um, there's uh, news reports that the Taliban are uh, gaining a foothold, and some of the, the locals are forming militias to protect themselves. As a uh, former um, military man and, and somebody who has tremendous background in that uh, arena, uh, what's your observation of what's going on in Afghanistan with the troop pullout?
6: Afghanistan is going to be forever a problem, I think, for the United States. Uh, the terrorist elements that will always be operating in there, uh, you know, nation states that are very porous, that have um, very weak and uh, ineffective central governments, let alone central governments that may have questionable allegiance or relationships with the United States. Those territories are always going to be difficult to manage from a from a, a, a terrorist perspective. You know, when I when I was entering the military, when I did counterintelligence and Air Force OSI, uh, that was I started doing that in the late '90s into the early 2000s. So before, during, and after 9/11, and the transition that was taking place within our intelligence services at that time, even predating 9/11, was this kind of slow and then eventually became, moved very quickly transformation from looking at the world through nation states where the threats were countries with you know very comparable militaries or uh, standing armies and that's how we viewed our security posture and cold war mentality if you will and we were starting to transition into understanding that our enemies with the rise of middle eastern extremism directed at uh, western nations uh, that the enemy oftentimes was in uh, friendly countries and could operate and use the freedoms and the laws and the rule of law in free societies to actually uh, undermine and attack us. And so I was serving during that. So I got a good background in both of those threats. After 9 11, we started to rapidly concentrate our intelligence forces into focusing on those ubiquitous, those, uh, you know, cross border, porous border threats where the enemy was small groups, oftentimes um, loosely affiliated, but networked around the world. Um, And so what I think we're seeing now is a little bit of going back the other way with the rise and ascension of China um, and some of uh, some of the the threats on that level. We're starting to reorient nation state mindset, perhaps. And uh, I think we have to be careful that we really have to do both of these things equally well the threat from Middle Eastern extremism is not going to dissipate. And the more we remove our footprint from Afghanistan, the more that threat is likely to rise again. The question really is how we manage the removal. Boots on the ground, it's hard to replace that in terms of understanding uh, what's happening in real time on the ground in an area. Hearts and minds is what you fight for when you have boots on the ground and you're able to run a local source network and keep uh, attuned to the threats as they're arising. If we're able to withdraw you know our standing forces down to a minimum amount but at the same time have an effective source network that we've built up over the years and still feed that and nurture that and keep more of a counterintelligence uh intelligence footing uh with with surgical abilities to go in and out if needed later that may that may work but i'm i'm suspect of that i fear that the um the withdrawal will signify less focus on that, which could mean a rocket threat coming back from that area.
2: Aren't um, these types of withdrawals uh, interpreted by the enemy and by um, observers as a defeat? You know, let's declare victory and leave. And And didn't the Russians face the same thing at one time in Afghanistan? They were there for years and then they decided, hey, the hell with this. Let's get out of here. Um, yes. Is that an issue?
6: Yes. Uh, Of course, I mean, the the, getting back to the hearts and minds argument, um, you know, our enemies and adversaries in these in these areas like Afghanistan have long been telling people that have cooperated with our armed forces that there will be a day that the United States will leave and they will leave you and you will be alone. And so who do you want to side with? And so those predictions that our enemies make, they use these as examples uh, to, you know, affirm that, that what they were, in fact, right. And so it is, it is a morale hit to those groups, tribes, uh, people, individuals, organizations that sided with us, you know, what we call our allies on the ground um, in these nations. And uh, there's a danger that they will be left unprotected as well. I know there's a program to try to protect them, but as oftentimes that program involves removing them from their own country in order to keep them safe if we can't guarantee it anymore. And so that does not bode well long term if we have to go back in any capacity and try to rebuild or reconstitute those networks and those alliances.
2: Do you think there are lessons to be learned? I mean, this is uh, called the longest-running war in American history. Uh, I mean, it really em- it, it emanated from the events of uh, 9-11, which it's really hard to believe. It's 20 years ago. Uh, yeah. it, it, as, a, as a person who understands military operations the way you do, and I, I don't expect you to set policy here, but I know you have your opinions. Uh, is there anything we could have learned from this if we knew back uh, in uh, 2001 what we we were heading into um, to have uh, changed the course of how it went or done something better. Or is this just what happens when you try to project a military force to a, a rough part of the world that's on the other side of the planet? And that eventually uh, the, uh, the local forces will prevail either through, um, you know, an insurgence or a resistance or any number of uh, guerrilla warfare uh, techniques against a power like the U.S. What do you think?
6: Yeah, I I think all of this to me seems relatively predictable. Um, You're going into uh, an environment that, you know, we we, we would consider uncivilized compared to uh, American or Western standards. Uh, You know, limited areas of electricity, you know, uh, again, weak centralized authorities and, uh, you know, various clans and tribes. And networks that work like that. And so the difficulty is those, those allegiances, those alliances go back in many cases hundreds, in some cases thousands of years. Very difficult to insert yourself into that environment. Um, and not one appear to be an invader or a crusader placed into that, into that, into that world.
2: That's Vince Benedetto, one of the rising stars in radio station ownership. He's the founder and CEO of the Bold Gold Media Group, owners of a fast-growing chain of radio stations, including our affiliate in Scranton, Pennsylvania, 93.3, The Talker. Coming up next, a timely conversation with our esteemed and astute medical correspondent. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap on 104.7 Wonk FM.
7: Some mistakes you just can't fix, like your retirement. You only get one chance, and with Grace Advisors, we'll help you make the most out of your one chance at a great retirement. At Grace Advisors, we make sure your retirement income is not at risk with the up and down ride of the stock market roller coaster. Instead, we build a foundation for your retirement, where, when the market's up, you're up. When the market's down, you lose nothing, and we structure your plan in a way that you will save more on taxes, giving you an even greater return on your nest egg. So speak with a Grace Advisor, a Christian company, helping families protect their future every day. Call 888-585-1615. That's 888-585-1615. Call 888-585-1615 and speak to a Grace Advisor today.
2: Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. COVID-19 is back in the top spot on the talker survey of hot topics discussed in talk media this past week. Let's check in with our medical correspondent, Dr. Dahlia Wax of the Genesis Communications Network. Dr. Wax, the COVID situation, as much as we would like to have it in the rearview mirror, it doesn't seem to want to go away, although I have to admit On the surface, if one is healthy and perhaps vaccinated, uh, life does feel a lot better and it's getting back to something that uh, is socially more pleasant. Uh, But um, what's the reality with this uh, Delta variant? And, you know, it's in the news that uh, Biden didn't meet the 70 percent goal uh, by uh, the 4th of July. What are your thoughts on the, the Delta variant and that particular news item?
1: fantastic questions. So the Delta variant is concerning because it infects younger individuals. It affects them a lot more easier. And with the Delta plus variant being um, discussed lately in the news, uh, it could also evade some of our monoclonal antibody treatments. So the Delta variant is concerning and expected to be one of the majority strains in the US in the coming weeks. But the good news that came out today is those who have been vaccinated have a much, much lower death rate. And they Found that I think it was maybe 0.8 percent of people who were vaccinated and got COVID ended up dying, or and 0.1 percent being hospitalized. So it was a very very low percentage, um, highlighting the fact that the vaccines work and that that the vaccines are effective at keeping us from from the hospital, uh, or from hospitalization.
2: And how about Biden's goal?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was bold when he did come up with the 70% goal, but that's what goals are. You know, you want to hit, you want to reach for the Super Bowl. You know, you want to be in the Stanley Cup final. These are goals. So goals will always be overreach. If you make a goal that's something that's so easily to attainable, it's not a goal. It's a. It's just a basic, you know... I, I don't know, you know, um, milestones. So the the goal was bold, but what I think a lot of people are forgetting is the glass is half full. We didn't expect at least half of America to even consider being vaccinated, and we have at least 70% of people planning to be vaccinated. So we have vaccinated more people than we thought we ever would. And especially since a lot of people aren't enthusiastic about the flu shot, I think we did a feat that we would have never been able to um, do. So it is still a success uh, for the Biden administration.
2: If a um, person has one one dose and they didn't get the second one, does that one dose have any effect without the benefit of the second dose? Um, maybe a smaller percentage of, of effectiveness, but does it still have some effectiveness or does it take a second dose to kick it into any kind of gear?
1: Great question. So currently the data shows that Pfizer and Moderna vaccines after one injection will give at least 82% efficacy in preventing hospitalizations. Not the 95%, but 82% is still way better than flu shot efficacy, where at its best year is 60%. So there is that 82% efficacy rate. We don't know about the long-term immunity of one shot versus two, because one study said that sometimes the immunity might not last more than a few months. But it is a significant topic to discuss, because as the FDA is concerned about the mRNA heart inflammation risk, one thing I've suggested is if that seems to be associated with second dosing in younger individuals under 30, maybe limit their dosing to just one or spread out the interval. So I think we need more targeted studies on if we could get away with just one injection, especially in the younger population that could be at higher risk for heart inflammation.
2: You answered my next question before I asked it. I was going to say uh, or ask you. So, yep. what's the story with you know? I, I I notice that certain news media like to focus on the negative. Others focus on the positive in terms of vaccines. Uh, those news media that are politically motivated, and I find uh, the ones that are uh, focused on the negative aspects of the vaccinations are pointing out to heart inflammation. Uh, that 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 there's increased heart inflammation on you know with those who get it. Now you mentioned that. Before. Before. How serious is this heart inflammation, and how prevalent is it?
1: Right, right. So we've been told that as of I believe end of May, there were 1,200 cases. I believe three, four hundred of which the CDC were seriously looking at. A um, handful of people were hospitalized. A couple of people needing ICU. No deaths from the mRNA vaccine, but they seem to center around more male than females, more after the second dose. And we wonder if it has to do with males and their inflammatory response might be a little bit more dramatic than a female's. And if they could identify what they think is going on, then they could tailor the vaccine. Now, one thing I've discussed, and I think, you know, a lot of us in the medical uh, uh, community agree on is no two people are the same. And so when we want to vaccinate a whole population and we don't take into account age, gender, race we might be doing people a disservice and we might have to vaccinate rather than the way we do with the flu shot. Maybe with some of these vaccines, we have to tailor it to certain populations in terms of dosing and in terms of intervals to minimize certain risks. It is a significant risk in that colleges are, um, considering mandating, over 400 have said they're going to mandate vaccines. But younger individuals don't want to have a risk of heart inflammation and the heart is not an organ. A lot of people want to take that chance with, especially in a population that doesn't seem to have as much morbidity and mortality. But with this Delta variant, their, their attitude towards COVID might change because the Delta variant does seem to cause more morbidity and mortality in that population. So it is serious, but it's still mild and, and it's still rare in terms of the millions who have already received the vaccine. And so guidance is going to be needed as to what we could do to mitigate that risk to make people more comfortable in getting the vaccine if they're going to feel forced like they have to get one you
2: mentioned race i've also been hearing uh, in conversations and i'm a little vague on the details and if you are please don't try to answer it but um i that that there's a disparity in terms of vaccinations and efficacy or or something along those lines for um African-Americans. Um, is that just simply that African-Americans are hesitant to have it because they don't trust any kind of government-backed uh, medical experimentation or program based on history? Or is there something in the physiology here that um, we have to deal with as politically incorrect as it might be?
1: Right, right. No, great question. And in medicine, we really look at political correctness kind of a little differently because we're doing African Americans a disservice if we give them medication that was tested on on Caucasians and, again, try to treat an African American with the same dosing where their physiology might be different. And so so with the African American population, there's a few things. Not only, as you mentioned, you know, the Tuskegee experiments and lack of trust in terms of medical experimentation, but some have talked to me about these. Seven point nine percent of African Americans within the original study of the of the Pfizer vaccine. They don't think seven point nine percent is representative and enough to be able to convince them that African Americans were studied and focused um, um, as as uh, carefully. And it's because they tried to do a cross section of the whole population. But I agree. I think maybe more targeted. Studies need to be done in the African American population to ensure that the safety risk profile isn't just for the majority of Caucasians that receive the vaccine, but also For tens of thousands of African Americans.
2: That's Dr. Dahlia Wax, heard daily on radio coast to coast via the Genesis Communications Network. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Okay, we have time for one more. The mayoral primary took place this week in New York City, and it was exciting to say the least. On the Democratic Party side, it was akin to the WWE Royal Rumble, with a huge field of contenders vying for their piece of the pie in the city's first ranked choice election against a disturbing backdrop of riot crime and violence. On the Republican side, it was a two-man race with the landslide winner being a well-known radio talk show host who's been a contributor to this program on many an occasion. Bringing us up to speed is WABC New York Morning Show co-host Sid Rosenberg. We've got this thing called Ranked Choice. We have this uh, person named Eric Adams. We have this other person named Curtis Sliwa, whom we all know very well. And um, there's a lot of crime going on in the city, which uh, makes me think that Curtis is going to wind up winning this. But that's, uh, that's what my opinion is is not important.
0: Well, listen, I hope you're right. Curtis Sliwa is a dear friend of mine, as you know, and has been for a long time. He's one of the reasons why I got back to New York City. And up until about a couple of months ago, he was my colleague, my teammate, my co-worker on WABC. He comes on with me and Bernie all the time. He was on the day of the election, and he's been on twice since he won the election. He is the right guy for the job, four decades leading the Guardian Angels and fighting crime in this city without making a penny. He just loves New York. He's the right guy. But what I'm going to disagree with you is feeding Eric Adams is going to be a very, very tough task. It's eight to one Democrats or Republicans in this city. And I know Rudy Giuliani won back in 1993 and Mike Bloomberg afterwards, but it's very, very difficult for a Republican to win. And Eric Adams, don't forget, is a guy that was a cop for 22 years. Mm -hmm. So his uh, platform has also been to fight crime. I don't think he's as consistent as Curtis Sliwell or as enthusiastic as Curtis Sliwell but he does have that going for him as well. So I think Eric Adams will win despite the ranked choice 40, which has people like Maya Wiley and Catherine Garcia still in the running. I think we will see Curtis Lewis versus Eric Adams. I hope the god Curtis Lee will wins, but Eric Adams will be the overwhelming favorite.
2: What do you think this will mean to, um, to Curtis's uh, career if if he doesn't win? Uh, he really wins either way, doesn't he?
0: I couldn't agree more. In fact, it's funny you say that, Michael. I said that on the Eric Bernard this morning. He wins either way. This is... The guy that gets to the Super Bowl and has a magnificent game, but just gets outplayed by Joe Montana or Tom Brady. Nothing you can do. He still played great, and he got to the big dance. So uh, the fact that he won the GOP and didn't just win, Michael, what he did to Fernando Mateo was incredible. He obliterated the competition. He received nearly 72% of the vote. That was a Lance Alec I've never seen. So it's a very impressive season for Curtis Lee. will win or lose. You're right. No matter what, his career is on the ascent.
2: So what's the story with the crime? Now, you know, I'm hearing things. I haven't been back in Manhattan now about a year and a half. And um, even devout boosters of New York are telling me, Michael, it's pretty bad. How, and obviously, if, if the top Democrat is anti-crime in law and order, it tells you that that's the issue. Um, what's, what's the reality of it?
0: Reality is there are three issues in this city, Michael. Crime, crime crime <laughs> i mean look uh, certainly our schools could be better and we need help with that too and there are other things you need to work on but crime is a major issue it is out of control and that goes back to the governor and the democrats this, this bail reform that they've allowed to happen in this city where people can commit relatively serious crimes in their home in four hours it's ridiculous and there's anything like it and that's going to really tie the hands of people like curtis sliver and or eric adams because judges don't keep these people in jail and they come out and they commit even uh, worse crimes afterwards so The laws on the books make it very difficult for anybody who cares about more in order to succeed here in New York. And that goes back to Cuomo, who next year hopefully will lose to either Andrew Giuliani, you know, Lee Zeldin or or Rob Santorino. But uh, in this case, uh, crime is out of control. If they're telling you it's pretty bad, that's an understatement. It is scary. Serious crimes every night. Brooklyn, Manhattan, the Bronx, you name it. Shootings, stabbings, the subways. It dates back to 1975, the Bernie Getz era. If you're hearing that, Michael you're hearing the truth. In fact, it may even be understated. That's how bad it is, and that's why Curtis Lewa and Eric Adams know to win in this city, they have to combat that, despite the fact that people continue to vote Democrat in this city when they know that criminal bail reform is part of their platform.
2: Wow. You, know, you mentioned Bernie Gets. Um, do you think it's possible we might start seeing uh, the emergence of a new vigilante or vigilantism?
0: Well, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, you know, I think people are going to get fed up. I think people are buying more and more guns, and which is not the issue in this country, despite what that idiot Joe Biden said yesterday. Yeah, guns are not the issue. No one, I've never seen a gun walk outside the house by itself and kill somebody. Right. Crazy kills. People kill. It's not the guns. And uh, he's worried about taking, you know, it's the guns, the guns, the guns. But yeah, I do think that people will take matters into their own hands. They've had enough. People are going out and arming themselves because at the end of the day, if the police aren't going to protect them and the police can't win in this case because they're vilified either way, then they're going to protect the families themselves. So. I do think that you'll see some of these stories like Bernie gets more than isolated.
2: So Sid, what's the overall impact in this on the reemergence of, of New York City?
0: fact is the crime is is uh, making it uh, tough and people are scared. But uh, this is New York and people are still tough. Uh, businesses are open 100 percent in Queens for the Mets, 100 percent in the Bronx for the Yankees. U.S. open 100 uh, percent. Most restaurants now are open very late at night and for the early morning hours without masks and all that stuff. So uh, the city is back. Uh, I go to events every week. I've got a dinner at Rayos next Thursday. I've got dinner at Rosanna, Scott, the week after. So it is back, and, and, and businesses are back. But uh, unfortunately, Michael, the damage is already done. That's Sid
2: Rosenberg of WABC Radio in New York City. And that concludes this latest installment of our show. This has been the Michael Harrison Wrap, looking back at this past week of Monday, June 21st through Friday, June 25th, 2021. Looking ahead... I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor. That unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. And that does it for this week's installment of The Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the National Conversation. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening.
1: The Michael Harrison
0: Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications in conjunction with Talkers Magazine and Talk Media Network. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.
3: plus.